Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Otzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And it's Wednesday. That means it's Mailbag Wednesday. It's also hump day, middle of the week. Hopefully you guys are going strong in the work week and the weekend is now in sight. Uh, it's another beautiful week here in Eugene, Oregon, where Eric and I are. Uh, hopefully it's awesome weather where you are. Unless you live in Arkansas, which sounds like it's like apocalypse, snow, everything uh, in that part of the, of the country. But nonetheless, we've got a, a great podcast for you today. A lot of football discussion, Eric. Um, a lot of questions about quarterbacks. Who's winning? Do we see what what we what have we learned about newcomer Ty Thompson, uh, tight end position? We've got Mace Funa and the outside linebacker discussion. Uh, we've got some in-state recruiting from the 2020 football recruiting class, uh, NFL draft discussion. It's a full-on, full-scope Oregon football mailbag, and let's dive right into it. In the heart of, of spring football, I, I would be surprised if it was anything else. And we should know lots going on with both basketball programs Um you know, the men's program still has to, I think, add some transfers. The women's program has to find a couple assistant coaches. So we'll have plenty of coverage on those on duckterritory.com. But you're going to be seeing an awful lot of football stuff here um, over the next couple of weeks, and particularly leading through the spring game. And then, you know, obviously in the, you know, the, the, the conclusion of the spring game, a week or two worth of maybe more of just, you know, looking back, considering kind of what we've learned and, and, and kind of heading into what will be the, you know, the, the, the longer part of the offseason. Um, with the summer months before we get into fall camp in August or September, whenever that exactly is going to start. So um, certainly a lot of football talk today, and I think it's the right place to start. And we're going to start with the most interesting and most important part, and that's the quarterback position with a couple questions here. First from at Papa, sorry, at Poppy Staines with Oregon, sorry, with Anthony Brown leading the way, what do you think the ceiling is for this team? Would Oregon have a higher ceiling with Thompson or Butterfield leading the way? Um, well, I mean, should say we've watched these quarterbacks throw in practice exactly one time. And so we're experts now. We know, we know all their strengths and all their weaknesses. We know everything. Um, and, and I say that just because obviously that's not the case. And obviously we, we, we don't have a complete picture here. What I, what I will say is, Based on what I saw on Saturday, I think Anthony Brown is, is significantly further along right now than the other yeah. two players. Um, and so we talk about ceiling, and to me, I, I, the first thing, my thought was ceiling when? Ceiling, ceiling in November or December when they're playing postseason or end, you know, playing for a Pac-12 championship, playing in a bowl game, or ceiling in September and October and when they have crucial games. You know, you think about the game, against Ohio State and Columbus or uh, some of these you know, early Pac-12 games uh, in October. And I would be really surprised if Thompson or Butterfield are even close to Brown's level at that point. So it's kind of like a ceiling when thing for me. Like I, maybe by November and December, if those other two players had 
started the first eight to 10 games of the season and had something to build off of, maybe they'd be a little bit, maybe they'd have higher ceiling. I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just saying maybe that's possible, but is it worth burning through the first two months of the season or so to get there? Right. When you have a team that I think everybody believes has, has the potential to be Pac-12 champions to maybe play for a, a, you know, a a cultural playoff spot. So I'm not saying Anthony Brown is, is, is like going to be, the best quarterback Oregon's had and that Thompson and Butterfield are like woefully underprepared and, and have no shot to, to beat him out. But like, what I will say is that like, I, I don't know if you're, if you're, if, you, if big, if you know, big picture and looking at the season, if you're benefiting yourself by, by going with one of the younger guys early, cause I could see you losing two to three games that maybe you win a couple of those with Brown. And, and that's the difference in, you know, how you, where you're playing in November or December anyway. So it's a tough push and pull there, but, but my stance is like, I don't think either of the younger guys are going to be ahead of Anthony Brown or, or more prepared for a game against Ohio State. And so, like, I, I lean that as, like, you want to make sure that game is pretty darn competitive and you want to make sure you go in through October into Pac-12 play with high-quality quarterback play because if you don't, you could slip up a couple of times and a season which a lot of people have really high expectations could quickly be one where you're struggling to win eight and nine games. I, I look at this and think it's it's kind of similar to what a team who's tr- trying to fight for a bowl game with a, maybe an experienced quarterback. And if that doesn't happen, you know, at some point when it becomes clear that, hey, we're not making a bowl game or, hey, from an NBA standpoint, hey, we're not making the playoffs. Time to time to play some of our younger guys. It's kind of that theory obviously Oregon's goal isn't just get to a bowl game it's getting to the college football playoff and I I really feel like you have to approach this as who gives us the best opportunity week one week seven week nine week 12 to get to a college football playoff and who starts at quarterback could change from week one to week five or week five to week seven or week seven to week 10. It could be a case in which, Hey, right now we think Ty Thompson is going to be a three-year starter for us. We think he's going to be the the guy and a future first round draft pick, but we need to win now. And he might not be ready or Jay Butterfield might not be ready until we feel real comfortable until week seven. And we're going to roll with Anthony Brown. And I I truly think it's kind of like that, that theory of as long as Anthony Brown keeps winning and as long as Oregon is still kind of in that picture of the college football playoff discussion, winning the conference championship, um, he's going to be the guy like, it's evident that that they are rolling with him right now. It, he, he takes all the reps in the first team, in spring ball, he took all the reps in the scrimmage. It's going to blow my mind if he doesn't take all the reps in the spring game um, with the first team offense. Agreed. Uh, unless they pull him because they say, "Hey, we just don't, we just don't want him to get hurt." Like that's the only caveat there. Um, I, I, I just think this is going to be a deal where until Anthony Brown's production falls off, or Oregon is kind of eliminated from some of their primary goals, winning the division winning the conference, getting into the college football playoff discussion. 
until those are you know completely eliminated, he's the guy. And, and if that if that changes, then I could see someone saying, "All right, let's let's throw out uh, Jay Butterfield. He's you know he's pretty close to to, to Anthony Brown. It's time you know things aren't 100 percent working. Let's see what he can do." Yeah, and it's a tough situ- it's a tough situation here. I think too. Um, I mean, I think the long term like ceiling of these players, it's pretty clear that. Thompson or Butterfield, I think, are going to be better college quarterbacks, but I don't know if either will be better in 2021. Right. And I, cer- and I certainly don't expect either to be better by early parts of the 2021 football season, at least based upon what we saw in the scrimmage. And I mean, that's not to say things can't change either, and, and, and maybe there will be a huge uptick and in, in opportunity for some of these younger guys over the next couple of weeks in spring, and you get to the spring game, and the spring game will have a different feel to it. Maybe we'll come from the spring game thinking, boy, one of these other guys could be there. But I think right now, based on the information we have and what we've seen, and and again, the information being he's taken all the first-team reps, they're obviously preparing him for that. And I thought it was pretty clear. I mean, it was pretty clear in the scrimmage, those that were there, who's who's most prepared to help help Oregon win football games. Um, And and I'm not saying they couldn't win with the others two. I I just, you know, and we should throw Robbie Ashford's name in there just because he's also a candidate for this. But, like – I, I think it was, it was I, that was pretty evident watching the way the offense operated with the different quarterbacks, which one was more prepared right now. And well, I think you can go that way. This team is the way it's constructed is and built right now. This isn't an opportunity where you can grow a quarterback. Like that was last year. Yeah. Like yeah, I agree. the year before it was, and that's kind of what makes the Ty Thompson or not the Ty Thompson, the Tyler Shuck transfer such a, a a burner because that was the growing pain year 2020 where you looked at it and said okay herbert's gone in a perfect world you would have lost four starters but you would have had Panay sewell uh you would have lost a couple you know star defensive players but you've got a really good defense intact still and it was set up for 2020 was set up for, okay, we want to make the college football playoff, but realistically that's probably difficult to do. And if we win the league, we come in and we feel really good about the progress that we've made, but we've got a lot of new pieces. We've got a lot of new you know guys to bring along. We're going to, we're going to understand that it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be hundred percent clean. Everything is set up. We've got a lot of new pieces everywhere. But the idea is all those guys are going to go through the, the, the trials and tribulations of a first-year starter, all of that. And then in 2021, everything is set up again for this team to not only contend and win the conference again, but to now also take that next step and become a college football playoff contender. And where, where Oregon's at going into 2021, I, I really look at this and think, you know, they've got the running backs. They've got the receivers. They've got probably the the talent at tight end. The experience isn't there, but the talent is there. They've got an offensive line that every starter is back. Their top reserve is back. They've added a whole bunch of other recruits that are, you know, top in program history that are fighting and pushing the, the starters for playing time. Their defense is loaded. They've got the best – they've maybe got the best defensive player in the country in Kayvon Thibodeau. They've got – the Pac-12 reigning defensive player, uh, freshman player of the year, and Noah Sewell back. Isaac Slade is back. They've got an elite corner. 
who's an NFL prospect. Everything is set up for this team and their window to win now, except for quarterback. We don't really know what we're getting at quarterback. And that's why you don't want to waste going through the freshman struggles and trip, you know, and bring and bringing along a Jay Butterfield or a Ty Thompson or a Robbie Ashford when every other position is, is set up to win now. Like you don't want to waste this window. You want to have the best year you possibly can have. Uh, that's perfectly said, Matt. I totally, that's exactly where I'm at too, in terms of just looking at this team. Like I, and I said this before, um, I'm not sure if it was on a, to you off podcast or, or, or just in Slack of just like, I, I think I look at this group and think like position by position, they should be better than they were last year across the board, um, except for quarterback and, and, and maybe cornerback just because you lose Diamador and I don't know if they're going to find a, a suitable replacement, but like, the rest of it, and you just ran through it, so I'm not going to belabor the point, but like the rest of it, it's like I think they should be better just at every other spot. And you talk about what, and, and, and there are some places that weren't great last year. So I'm not saying like an improvement at certain positions doesn't necessarily mean you're elite, but like I, I would be surprised if Oregon doesn't have one of the best position groups in every one of these, you know, every one of these positions in the conference, you know, like aside from quarterback. And that's just the reality of where you're at. So, um, We'll jump to another question here in a second that's quarterback related. But I, I think Matt's on to the exact point that I was trying to make earlier. I, I agree. I think he summed it up really well of like, this is a, a, this was the year. This was the window. When you, when after 2019 season happened, Oregon, you know, rides off to the sunset with all those seniors, 2020 was always going to be a season of like, okay, they've got a lot of upside, but probably not going to reach all of it right away. But at least you've got a year where you kind of figure out your quarterback position and, 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 Tyler Shuck, hopefully, maybe takes some lumps, but he comes back and he's your guy. They're not in that position now. And I think the thing that stinks is that you're not going to be really, really confident, at least from where I'm sitting, with the quarterback position until you get midway into the 2022 season in terms yeah. of a long-term guy. In terms of a long-term guy, because 2021 is going to be Anthony Brown and 2022 and beyond is going to be you know some of these guys that are battling right now and, and maybe someone they bring in later on. Um, and this is where losing the 2020 season from a quarterback development perspective really hurts is that it didn't just hurt 2020, it hurt 2021 because now you're in the same exact spot you were a year ago trying to figure out who the quarterback is. And honestly, the tables are kind of set in a similar spot here. We've got the veteran, you've got some younger guys. And this instance, unfortunately, the veteran's a one-year guy. And so Anthony Brown could be great for one year. Um, but he's not going to help you down the line. So this is where it kind of adds to the, you know, the complicated nature of like, do you want to get a young guy out there? Well, maybe you do, but you also don't want to burn the window of winning games in 2021 because I think in 2022, you could have lost two to three to four of your better players off the team because of graduation or going pro. And, and that's something that you, you can't really, I mean, you can't really fix that. That's just the way it's going to go. KT and Mikhail Wright are going pro after the season. So you lose your window with those two elite defensive guys playing with a bunch of other elite defensive guys. So um, it's a tough, it's, it's not exactly where they want to be from a quarterback spot, but again, I, I don't think the sky is falling either. So next one from at Paul, sorry, at Andy Paul Murray. Could you first see Ty Thompson being redshirted if it becomes evident that Brown and Butterfield are the first two choices? A hundred percent. In fact, I, I would like to see him probably redshirted even if he's the second choice. Um, if you can swing it, you know, in a perfect world. Um, and remember, Andy, that, that you now can play up to four games and, and, and maintain a redshirt year. So 
I, I mean, my, my thought would be, you know, maybe you try to, you don't try to burn any of the eligibility for any of your quarterbacks. If you can, you know, if you can avoid it, you know, any of the younger guys, um, you know, and, and certainly like if you're, if, if, if you think Anthony Brown's your quarterback and you're going to play Anthony Brown every game as a starter, and you're only going to play these backups in games where there's opportunity to play backups. That means one team is winning by a lot of points. You could probably rotate between some of your younger guys in those instances and try to save everybody. You know, I mean, you, you, you cut up the season, you go, well, let's say, let's say every single game you got to play a backup quarterback. Well, you do the math there, three guys, four games each, that's 12. That's, that's pretty close. That's your whole regular season. Yep. Um, and then you've got postseason, you know, in terms of conference championship, bowl games, whatnot. I mean, the reality is you could slice that up pretty, pretty evenly and, and maintain everyone's redshirt year if you wanted to. So, I mean, I mean, and this is where I'm not saying that's what they're going to do, but like, if you want to optimize your, 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 your roster from year to year, I don't think it hurts you in the least to go out and say, Hey, Ty, Jay, Robbie, each of you guys is going to get three to four games. You're going to get in the games. You're going to let you let you have the full, the off. You know the offense is going to be running. You're going to have an opportunity to throw it, to pass it, to do everything you need to do. Um, but you're not going to play more than that, and that's just going to mean that we enter 2022 with everybody listed as a freshman. I'm not saying that's what they're going to do, but like in my mind, that makes more sense than trying to play one of these guys more than that. I don't know. Like Matt, in a perfect world, would you take? Hey, like let's say let's say Jay Butterfield is the number two quarterback, Matt. Yeah. Would you say, hey, let's play him more than four games just so he gets more experience and, and say, you know, screw the, you know, that redshirt year, that extra year? Or would you try to maximize it and, and give everybody the opportunity to, to maintain and save that year? If, if I was in charge of the quarterbacks, I would look at this and say, one, is Anthony Brown our starter? And if he is, then I'm 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 rolling with him in every game. And now when you get into blowout situations, I look at this and think, okay, is is Jay Butterfield or Ty Thompson or Robbie Ashford, are they significantly further along than the other two? And if they are and you feel confident that you're gonna get more than four games where your backup quarterback, let's, let's say it is Jay Butterfield. Like, let's say you feel very confident against Fresno State, Stony Brook, Arizona, Washington State, Colorado, and Oregon State, that you can get Jay Butterfield in there for at least a full quarter of, of all those games, at least. I think you play him more than the four games. You, you, you get him the reps. But if you if you feel like, hey, you know what, like we might be able to get him into the full into the fourth quarter, but it might not be a full quarter. It might be one possession, or it might be two possessions, where he maybe plays a total of fifteen snaps. I don't play Jay Butterfield more than four games. Uh, I, I rotate between the other, you know, th- those three freshmen, and and you get them all, you know, three games of of experience. And then you go into that last quarter of the year with the idea, the hope that if something is to happen to, to Anthony Brown and it's not season ending, but it's like a one or a two week deal, you can play, you know, 
Jay Butterfield one game or Ty, and Ty Thompson another game and preserve their red shirts and still kind of keep your your season intact without you know dropping a game. But if one of them if one of them rises to the top of the, of the second tier group and it's clear and as day that hey the, like Jay Butterfield is by far our second best option. He's probably the overwhelming favorite to win the job after Anthony Brown graduates. I think you play him more because the likelihood that he stays four years as a starting quarterback, especially when that would mean he'd be a sixth year senior because 2020 in the eyes of the NCAA didn't happen from an eligibility standpoint. So Jay Butterfield goes into the 2021 season as a true freshman quarterback with a year of redshirting still on the table and would be a redshirt freshman for the third would be a freshman for the third straight year in 2022. He's not staying all four years. He's not. So get him as prepared as you possibly can. So it's kind of a two part answer. Like if, if they're all even you, you spread them out, you redshirt them all. If one of those guys ascends and is significantly better than everybody else, I think you play him and you play him more than four games because the likelihood that he, whoever that is, is at Oregon for, you know, all four years is very, very low, very low. The last point I'll make here, and then we'll jump to the next one, is just that, you know, game reps and playing games, not, that's not created equal, right? Like Tyler Shuck played four games in 2019, only attempted 15 passes and probably played like 60 to 70 total snaps. Um, you, you, I think Matt brings, brings a good point of just in terms of like, it's, it, it also sort of depends on how much you can actually play them. If you can, if you're just putting them into the game to take a knee on a last drive, it's not uh, worth it. It's not worth it. I mean, like, does, does it, is it good to get them on the field to, you know, practice, get, you know, catching snaps and going through the motions? Sure. But like, you'd like to get them a lot more than that. So I think that that plays into it too. Like it, it also depends on what's actually available. And, and if it's worth playing, you don't burn a guy's redshirt year just to burn a guy's redshirt year. But there is, like Matt said, there's some complexity too in terms of like the reality is is, is a player is probably not staying because of the 2020. That that might already be kind of like a redshirt year almost for Jay Butterfield. Like you kind of look at it that way and 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 plan it out from there because there's a chance here where he could redshirt in 2021 and get into 2022 and kind of be in that same Sean Dollars, a couple of these other guys where you've been in the program almost a handful of years already and you're still only a freshman in terms of eligibility. All right. Next one from at Tim Stege 12 before the season, Javon Holland was being touted as a first round pick and a potential top 10 pick. I haven't seen any mock drafts with him in the first round and some with him in the third round. Did his drop, did his stock drop that much by sitting out or was first round too high? Hashtag odds and audibles. Um, just for context here, Tim's right. I, I, he's not in the first round of the mocks I've seen. Um, you know, we've had a couple of, I, put, I posted a couple of those on duckterritory.com. You can go check them out and obviously go research those on your own independently if you want to. But like, I, he's kind of in like the early second to late second, maybe dipping into the third in all of these. So like picks 40 through 75 kind of range, which is not bad. I mean, you know, second, you know, it's not bad to be a second day draft pick. I think that's pretty clearly what he's going to be but he's not going to be a first day pick. Um, do I think him opting out has hurt him that much? Absolutely not. I don't think that's what it is. I don't, I don't think that they looked at him and, and made the determination because he sat out, that he's going to drop 40 to 50 spots. Um, I, 
I just also think the other thing is like, and I was thinking about this yesterday, um, just kind of how much of a bummer the 2020 season was. You got Penny Sewell and Javon Holland. They only played two seasons. They've only got two seasons of game tape on them. And that's not a ton. And maybe there are some concerns about just how much actual football they've played. I mean, I'm not saying like, I don't maybe, So maybe the opt-out did hurt, not in terms of the decision to do it and like questioning some sort of love of football or why you would opt out, but maybe just not putting as much game film hurt them. I don't know. I'm not an NFL draft expert. I, I don't follow the process anywhere near close enough to like consider myself that. But I, I do think, you know, it's notable that Holland was considered like a first round guy, probably going to be a second round guy. Is that the biggest drop I've seen? Absolutely not. But it did take place. It seems like a lot of people thought he might be a top 10 guy at that point. I mean, but the, I mean, the other thing is, is like so much of this evaluation takes place after the season ends and stuff like that. And, and I'm sure that there are a lot of players who helped themselves by playing last season too. So I don't know, Matt, like, do you, do you read too much into Holland and, and where he might fall? Cause I, I, I mean, maybe I'm just still bummed out. We didn't get to see a third season, but I do think it's somewhat notable. He fell from projections. And, and again, these drop mock drafts are pretty volatile. Like I you don't, they can change a lot really quickly for very little reason, but it, it, it there is a noticeable drop from somebody being considered a first round guy to being somebody who's probably going to be like maybe a mid second round guy. Yeah. Like I, I do think there's recency bias and he didn't, he hasn't played for a year. And so while I don't think he's necessarily his stock has, has dropped, there have been other guys that have played a season and have improved their stock. And so ha- someone has to go down. And so I, I think it's a case of, while it's, Hey, we don't think Javon Holland has gotten worse or, or we've soured on Javon Holland. It's these other guys, they've ascended their profiles and they have to go up. And unfortunately, someone just has to go down. It's just like in our recruiting rankings when a Ty Thompson, who was like a low four star guy, you know, ascended up the charts. There were quarterbacks that in the rankings, uh, when we, we would get the explanations for, you know, rise and drop, it'd be literally they did nothing negative. It's just they have to drop because other players are moving up. Like right, right. players have to go down when players go up. And so I, I think that's kind of where Holland's at is he hasn't played. Everyone's looking at stock that's, you know, draft tape that's two years old or a year old now. And they've got recency, you know, they've got recent you know, draft tape of other guys. And it's, we, we still like you. It's just this other guy has improved from where he was uh, a year ago when you were significantly higher than him. And now you guys are equal. And so that, that's kind of where I fall. I, I still think Holland will be picked probably in that, you know, second round, early second round range. He might, he might move up into the late first. Who, who knows? It, it wouldn't surprise me. And it also wouldn't surprise me if he drops down, you know, to, to the bottom second round or, or maybe even into that third round. Yeah. We should also note just before we jump into the next question, this has got to be one of the more challenging drafts in terms of oh, 100%. trying to scout it because it's because it's been way different the whole the whole format of this has been so different than past years and i'm guessing that th- this could be one of those drafts and where people in, in five years look back and go like man that this was wacky look at this guy went in the third and ended up being you know one of the best players or this guy was a top 10 pick and he wasn't it, it doesn't look he was deserving of that and i know that's always the reaction you know you, down the line no one ever drafts perfectly but you also have to acknowledge that like this is a difficult draft process and, and I'm sure 
um, that plays a role in some of the volatility of players moving up and down so much. And, and obviously a lot has changed since Javon was ranked where he was ranked. All right. Next one from at Nat Fod. I know scholarship numbers are tight with the extra year of eligibility, but do you think cross Patton has a decent chance of earning one next season? Lots of people raving about him. Hashtag odds and audibles. Um, really impressed with the way cross Patton played in the scrimmage. I know we talked about that on the last podcast. Thought, 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 you know, like for, for a player who's not on scholarship, who's been, you know, maybe at best your fifth or sixth best running back the last couple of years, like to see him out there running and bouncing off some first and second team defensive players and, and making, you know, converting first downs on, on a couple of plays, like, sure, that was impressive. Um, I think that we've seen the staff pay it forward too in the past with guys um, who are deserving as walk-ons, players who've played themselves into a role. Ryan Walk a year ago. Um, I think Nate Hukuliani might have also gotten one a year ago. I might be wrong. I might be wrong if it was Nate or some other walk-on uh, linebacker. But like, there is certainly a history of that taking place. So I don't think it's impossible. Um, the other reality is is that like Ryan Walk was a player who started ga- like every game last season. So as a walk-on, it makes sense to have a player. I mean, if you have a player who's who's starting games over scholarship players all season, it kind of makes sense that that player should be on scholarship too. The reality with Cross Patton is I think his ceiling is probably like fifth running back still. Um, I mean, I mean, I'm not saying Cross Patton hasn't had an awesome spring and that people are wrong for raving about him and that you know Jim Mastro is being disingenuous or something like that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying Cross Patton hasn't been awesome this spring. By all accounts, he has been, but he also plays a position where you're down four scholarship players right now. And when Sean Dollars and Trey Benson and uh, Seven McGee and Byron Cardwell enroll, most of those guys are going to be ahead of him, I think. Um, you know, and, and so, like, no, I mean, I, I cer- certainly like if, if, let's put it this way, if we get to spring and he's still the third, or sorry, fall, and he's still their third running back. 100%, but I don't know if it's really worth giving a scholarship to a guy who helps you a ton in the spring, but who's not going to help you at all in the fall. And hey, I might turn up, I might end up being completely wrong on this. And Cross Pat might, maybe he does end up being their third running back in 2021. And maybe in 2022, he's their second running back. And he, this is a guy who ends up being, ends up having a, a pretty significant career. But like where I'm sitting, I'm still kind of, skeptical of of him really being an impact player on the field on Saturdays this fall. And so I, I don't know if I see um, the validity for an argument to, to give him a scholarship, especially when I just don't see him being better than like maybe fourth or fifth on the depth chart at that spot. Yeah. We're like, I, I think this is a scenario in which cross patents taking advantage of his opportunities and it's not, it would be different if seven McGee was here and if Trey Benson um, was healthy and if Sean dollars was healthy because, and look, you also have to, you know, credit to credit to cross. Like he's doing, he's taking advantage of his opportunity, but I, I think we'd be talking a lot about what we're saying about cross. If Trey Benson or if Sean dollars were healthy, and we're able to practice, especially Sean Dollars. Um, and so Cross Patton's doing it, and everything that's expected of him. Um, and it's it's going to be a consistency thing for him. Like, I, I really think he's going to have to do it this spring, throughout the entire spring, dominate, have a really good spring game, 
And then in fall, he's got to find his way to get on the team, uh, uh, to get on the field in some capacity, make an impact in some capacity because they're not going to put him on scholarship unless he can't, unless he can get on the field. If he can't get on the field in some capacity, he's not going to be there. Um, that's going to be his next step. And then the hope is if you're cross, probably going into spring of 2022 is when he could maybe be put on uh, scholarship. Yeah. I think, I, I think he's got more work to do to, to, to earn one, honestly. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but like, you know, he's been really great for eight spring practices. Let's see what he can do into the fall. Let's see what he can do next spring as well, because it's the competitive position. Oregon has a lot of youth and talent that is still developing. And I don't know if it makes a ton of sense to use a scholarship when, when you're already allocating, you know, half a dozen to to scholarship guys right now. So, all right. Last couple here. First from at Vante 0602. Do you think Mace Funa could end up playing with his hand in the ground more to free up a spot at the outside linebacker position for Adrian Jackson to add more pass rushing on the field? Hashtag odds and audibles. Um, first thing I'll say is I don't discount anything from a personnel perspective with defense. I mean, they've already talked about mixing and moving and matching and, and, and playing players all over the field and, and trying to basically make sure they're maximizing everybody. And so, like, if they think Adrian Jackson adds more pass rush and they want to put Mace Funa with his hand in the dirt, I think they'll do it. Now, what I will say is there's been zero indication thus far. I think we hypothetically brought up the possibility some point this during the offseason, maybe a month ago, of, hey, maybe maybe the logical move is you put Mace Funa with a hand in the dirt as a defensive right. end, and, and then you've got Adrian Jackson and Justin Flo and Kayvon Thibodeau and Noah Sewell and Isaac Slade-Matautia and all these really good athletic linebackers that you can play behind him. Um, I don't – There's we've seen nothing that indicates that's in the plans or in the works. Everything we saw on Saturday was Mace was working as an outside linebacker. Everything we've heard from – Mace and from all the coaches is he's working at outside linebacker so like right now I'm of the belief Mace Funa is an outside linebacker and unless I hear something or see something that that makes me believe differently or changes my mind then I'm going to proceed with that mindset so like do I think that's a cool idea like sure absolutely but I also think like right now it doesn't seem like that's something that they're really tinkering with at least not publicly at least not publicly I mean I I think it would be an interesting decision. And I think it's something that they've probably discussed like, Hey, Mace is kind of in that, that hybrid size wise, like he's significantly bigger than most linebackers. He's a little undersized to play like along the defensive line. Um, And is it maybe a deal where we could bulk him up? And he now becomes this terror off the edge as a defensive end at a little heavier weight. Or if we pull him up, does he lose um, the agility and, and the speed and the quickness that makes him so special on the outside? Or it's, hey, if, if we can get him to, to, lose, to, to lighten up his load, um, he'll just become even more athletic. And it's like, well, then does he lose his strength and his, his ability to take on you know, defensive ends? Um, I, I think from Mace's body type, it's a, it's a very delicate one where it's like you could get him bigger, but then what do you lose? Or you can get him lighter, but what do you lose? And I, I feel like he's probably at his best where he is right now. Um, but if Oregon were in a position where, hey, we need defensive ends, and I don't think they're in that position right now, 
he would be a logical choice of like, let's move him up a level and play the end and bulk him up just a little bit because he's almost there. Yeah, I, I, I think it's it's a tough spot with him. He, he seems to like playing outside linebacker too, based upon what he said and, and talked about, you know, I think he made the note of like, I'm a big guy, but I can move really well in space as well. So like, I think I, I just don't see this being something that, that takes place. But again, who knows? They might, I mean, as I said, I think they're pretty open to, to getting as creative as possible with, with personnel decisions. And, and who knows? Maybe there's a lot more than what we've seen the last couple of times we've seen them. And I guess it hasn't been that many. We just saw them on Saturday. But maybe, maybe there's more to it that they didn't want to show um from a personnel perspective with that one i think that's that's certainly possible as well you can't discount the back the possibility that, that they are moving guys around and not talking about it but i just think everything we've seen and, and no i don't believe that's that's the case all right final one here it's a recruiting question from at luke in luke in tie might have missed oh there's an i in there instead of an o i don't know look luke and something luke something sorry luke i really butchered your your twitter handle What's your prediction on how many in-state signings we get in the 2022 class? And how would you rank the in-state talent this year compared to the last 10 years? Hashtag odds and audibles. Um, all right, Matt, let's start with the first part here, which is how many in-state players will Oregon sign? Um, we should note they've already got verbal commitment from a couple, from Amari and Winston and from Trey John Williams. So there's a start and, and two's, two's a sizable number. There's been, hasn't been a lot of cycles recently where, where Oregon has, has taken very many from the state of Oregon. And I think it's sort of notable that this is a year where they've done it. Um, there are several other notable players that either have scholarship offers or a lot of interest from Oregon um, in this class. It is, we'll get to a second where it might rank in the last 10 years. It is definitely one of the stronger classes recently um, based upon uh t- 247's rankings from the state of Oregon. Uh, Darius Clemens is a wide receiver from Westview in the Portland area. Um, he's the highest rated guy. Second and third are two guys Oregon has already got commitments from. We mentioned him, Trey John Williams and Ryan Winston, a couple of four stars. And then a few other players here, Matt, that Oregon could, in theory, go after um, and, and land. Lamar Wish, sorry, Lamar Washington, an outside linebacker from Jefferson and a teammate of Trey John Williams, does not have a scholarship offer at this moment. And then Andrew Sabanea from the Dallas um, does have a scholarship offer. But he's a three-star so three prospect. Those are probably the five guys to know. So, like, Clemens, Washington, and Sabanea have not committed to anywhere. Oregon is involved in all three recruitments. And then they have the commitments from Williams and, and Winston, and we feel pretty confident we'll just call those commitments going forward. So, I don't know, Matt, like, between the other three guys – and it's kind of, I mean, one of them doesn't have an offer, but like how many of those guys do you think Oregon realistically will take? Um, I think Jacob Newell from Thurston, a tight end, 6'5", 220. I think that's an interesting guy that they haven't offered yet. And he's starting to, uh, he's starting to land offers from other programs. Um, you, you, it, up and down the West Coast. Um, you look at Colorado State has recently offered him. Um, Fresno State has offered him. Oregon State has offered him. Nevada has offered him. Arizona uh, has offered him a scholarship. Um, I, I think that's probably the guy that I'm the most interested in seeing because he feels like 
he feels like the guy that's his best football is way ahead of him. And it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens with this coming fall and kind of the developments that he can make um, at that position. And does he land an offer? I mean, he's huge. He's like six foot six, like 225 pounds, big dude. Um, Tight end maybe isn't the most needy of a position and they've already got a tight end committed there, but it is a D one guy that's, you know, every month it seems like a new, a new school is offering him a scholarship. I'll be curious to see what happens there with Oregon. Now guys that Oregon has offered uh, Darius Clemens, Andrew Saviani. Um, I would probably say Clemens is the most likely guy to end up at Oregon. Um, but I think, I think there's a real possibility, Eric, that they go four for four with the, with the guys that they've offered right now. Um, Saviania, I can't say his name and I apologize, but uh, Andrew S from, from the Dallas high school in Dallas, Oregon. Um, He's a three-star guy, but you know, a lot of West coast powers, you know, PAC 12 schools have offered him. Oregon's offered him. They're serious about him. Um, And then Darius Clemens, he just landed an offer from Alabama. Like if, if you're curious of how good he is, I mean, that, tells you everything you need to know in my book. But I, I think there's a real possibility that they sign four. And I think the the thing with Oregon's in-state class this year is it's probably not the best all time, um, but it's also up there. It's probably in the discussion for, if you want to look at the last 10, 15 years of Oregon in-state football from a recruiting standpoint, it's probably in that, you know, three or four or five ranking. There's not like, there isn't that superstar. There's, there isn't a Talanoa. There isn't a, a Colt Lairla. There isn't um, yeah. Thomas Tyner, a Thomas Tyner, um, you know, bonafide five-star guy, but you've got a couple dudes and Clemens and Williams who are legit power five, big time college football players I think Lamar Washington from Jefferson, he's Trey John Williams high school teammate. He's a guy that could become that like a, a bonafide star outside linebacker, but he's also a very good basketball player. And the word is, is he likes basketball more than he likes football and kind of where he's, you know, tipping his cap to um, right now. But if he were to kind of do a flip and go all in on football He's someone who could explode too. And so I just look at this class and think it's not the best class, but it's one of the better classes that we've seen in a long time come out of Oregon because it's top star power is really, really good. Yeah. I, so I, I, I didn't go all the way through the decade, but 2018 is pretty clearly significantly yeah. better. Talanoa, Chase Cota, Braden Lindsay, Trey Lowe, Dawson Armillo, Elijah Winston, Draco Bynum were all four-star recruits. MJ Cunningham also signed at Oregon. He was close to being a four-star recruit. Other notables, Tegan Quitteriano, who was an Oregon commitment, ends up at Oregon State. A couple other guys, Jake Ducart, Miles Green-Richards. Um, that was a really strong class. You got like six to seven four-star recruits in that class. Um, this year's class isn't there yet. And we should note, players can evolve and get better, and, 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 and maybe we'll see more than just the current kind of four or five guys be D1 players 
down the line here, and I'm sure we will. I'm, you know, Jacob Newell's a name to watch, Matt noted, and I think there's some other players in the state that probably will get maybe in that discussion. Definitely, I think, better than 2021. Um, 2020 or 2019, though, um, you know, in terms of the state, I mean, think about 2019, one four-star Patrick Herbert, 2021 last year, had a couple of big-time players and Keith Brown and Nathan Rollins, Cabonia, and Demir Collins. The, the latter two don't go to Oregon, but are, are four-star players from from Jefferson where Oregon couldn't recruit. Um, so, like, I, I, I would say this, like, it's not the best uh, since 2010, but it's, I think, the best since 2018. You know, in about five years, this is the best the state has done. And and the upside is probably not. I don't think the upside in this class is good enough to pass the 2018 group just because I don't think anyone's going to be a top 75 recruit like Talanoa was. But at the same time, like, I don't think you can confidently say that this is not going to be a class with a ton of really, really good players and, and a class that Oregon will, will hopefully build off of. And I think one just last thought on this before we kind of wrap up the show, like I look back at this 2018 class. And this was a weird year. This was the year where Willie Taggart was the coach for part of it. And they were, had a great class and then he tick off and, and then everything kind of changed. Mario finished the class and finished it admirably. But you look at this class here and the top five, six players from the state don't end up going to Oregon and they're all four-star recruits. You know, Talano goes to USC, Chase Cota, UCLA, Trey Lowe, Washington, Braden Lindsay, Notre Dame, um, Elijah Winston, USC, and uh, Draco Bynum, Washington, uh, Dustin Yomillo and, and NJ Cutting, I both go to Oregon. But uh, that is, just, I bring that up to say it has not been that long since this class took place. But if this class, if this group collection of talent was in the state this year, I sure as heck think they'd land more than a couple of these top six guys and probably would have the inside track on, on multiple guys. So, um, recruiting has gotten i mean i think that's just kind of one of those benchmarks to look at and think it wasn't that long ago that oregon had a really good state you're you're in the state in terms of recruits where they have you know half a dozen four-star recruits and didn't get any of those guys and now you're in a spot, yeah and that was brutal and now you're in a spot about five years later where if you had you know oregon we think could land maybe four or five guys from the state who are all really good players so things have changed and certainly recruiting always is, is kind of evolving and changing but i think even in the last couple of years you can kind of look back and say there's been an, an improvement very clear improvement from an in-state perspective of just making sure you land your guys because you look at these other classes and it's like whoever the top guy is goes to oregon i do think you should get used to more and more good players coming out of the state of oregon and primarily portland um there are more and more training facilities starting to pop up uh, around the state and primarily in the state, in the city of Portland in the Metro area. Um, you're seeing more seven on seven events. You're seeing more high school teams embrace seven on seven um, leagues are, are popping up all over the place. So more attention to football is, is, is being devoted uh, and spent Um in and around the state of Oregon, which will naturally just rise, uh, will raise up the level of, of talent in, in the city uh, in, of Portland and also in the state of Oregon. Um, and it's also the, the sheer population increase. Like that's going to help too. Um, you know, as people continue to move to Oregon from California, from Arizona, um, from Nevada and from other places around the country, 
like Oregon is still a popular destination for, for people to move to. And the city of Portland is, is growing tremendously. I mean, it, it's grown like, I want to say 400,000 people since 2010 um, in, in size, the Portland metro area, like just the sheer number, more number of people that live in the area will increase also, you know, the, the likelihood of, of better players in the state of Oregon. Now, I, I don't think it's fair to say that, you know, Oregon every year is going to have a, a top 50 recruit and, you know, every other year they'll have a five-star guy. Like that's not, I'm not saying that, but I think it's, it's reasonable probably, you know, to, to start moving forward and thinking that, Hey, like the state of Oregon, it, it should probably have two or three guys on a yearly basis where Oregon offers those players. And it's probably fair to say that, you know, every other year or every third year, that number might grow to, to five or six guys where Oregon offers scholarships in, in the in-state recruiting class. I mean, they've already offered a couple guys uh, in 2023. Um, there are already some guys that they're significantly looking at in the 2023 recruiting class. So like, I, I get used to this. Um, Riley Williams is a tight end from Central Catholic uh, he's like six, five and two forty right now. And he, he holds offers from Oregon, Oregon state, Washington, Arizona state, Georgia tech. Uh, he's a four-star player in, in the state. Um, the number one player in the state at this time in the 2023 class, um, DeMarcus Houston is a guy from West Albany, a cornerback. He's got an offer from the Beavers. And then, um, Sam Levitt is, uh, the, eighth best dual quarterback in the country. And he plays at Westview high school uh, up, up in the Portland area. So, you know, you look at this and you think like it, it's going to be now, I think the norm two to the four and probably five guys that Oregon every year could offer. And in a case in which it could, you know, every other year, every three or four years, it could explode the five, six, seven, eight guys that they offer. Yeah, the trend's certainly there. And I think you actually you bring up a good point in terms of people moving to the area. Um, that could pay dividends in kind of a strange way here, too, down the line. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast, Mailbag Edition. Thank you for submitting your questions. Thank you for listening to the show. Uh, continue to see huge growth uh, with the podcast year over year, month over month, uh, season over season. Uh, the podcast li- listenership is not stopping. It continues to trend upwards. And uh, Eric and I are very appreciative of all your guys' support with the podcast. And until we talk to you later on this week, you've been listening to the Ots and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? 
Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 